The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning. We are reading um, from Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Um, there are Bibles that are scattered among um, underneath your chairs. So if you'd like to follow along, it's going to be on page 913, but it will also be uh, printed above me. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who have heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in and found, came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And now they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This is the Lord's word. So um, I was going to title, uh, I was looking for a real simple title for this uh, passage. This is not a fun passage, by the way, to teach. You know, you keep looking out of your blinds for lightning, making sure you're okay as I'm doing prep with this one. And, and so it's not going to be titled, You Lie, You Die, okay? We're, we're, we're not going there this morning. Um, what I did caption it as is the good news and the bad news church. We've got a good news church and a bad news church, and you're going to get both ends of that. So let me give you a little, little news, a little good news in opening. Um, the, the good news is, is that God is not dead, and, and we can formally apologize to Nietzsche, but he is dead, by the way. He's buried next to his father. His corpse is rotting. So none of that's being argued this morning. Uh, you know, it's interesting, I, as, as I prepare, I, I read a little bit on Nietzsche, and toward the end of his life, he lost his mind, had a mental breakdown, and I think that's what you get for denying God's existence. Uh, there's a, a psalm or a proverb that says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
And uh, you can't keep your wits about you when, when you believe those things. He, one of the ways they say he died, possibly, was tertiary syphilis. Now, that's, that's again, it, it talks about a lifestyle, so I'm not going to go there. So Christ is alive. He, he is not rotting in the ground. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And that's a great, a great place for us to start as a community. The Holy Spirit is all-powerful and indwelling men who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, the church is serving as a refuge center for the lost, the hungry, and the outcast of the world. The church is actively bringing good news of salvation to the four corners of the earth. And at some time in the future, Christ is going to come back. I'm going to be vindicated. I'm going to tell some people. There's a book of Isaiah. It says that we will be able to say, I told you he was coming back and be vindicated. So I look forward to that day of vindication. And this is true as in the early days of the church of Acts. And this is true today for us. And what a great thing to know that's really the truth. So the bad news, the church is full of broken, sinful people, full of people who are selfish, petty, stiff-necked, fickle, and horribly flawed. Let's own it. And the church is the epicenter of the spiritual war for the souls of mankind. And, and if we t- take this to heart, it's, go- it's going to change how we do church. So that for the four members that just came up here, I'm giving you a heads up. You just joined. You got on board with us. So um, maybe Randy should have told you that in Docs of 101, but I'm telling you now. And by the way, it's too late. You signed the document. So we've got you. We will keep you, Lord willing, and uh, welcome to Doxa. All right. So having done that, um, if we really get this stuff, it's also going to change our understanding of our role in the church with these two extremes of, of depravity and of the power of a living God. It will affect how we see our roles in this church. It it cues us in into the resources that are at our disposal. It will serve to instill a sense of urgency and steadfastness. It will solidify our commitment to serve without reservation. And these really are simply the truths that have been true since Acts up until this day. And I believe it will continue on until his return. So this morning, the passage we cover confirms the good news about the church and some bad news. And so uh, let me put us back in context, a little bit of a recap. We're going to start obviously with Ananias and Sapphira and the bad news. But up until this point coming into this week, we, we see this church in Acts. There's a spirit of oneness where all the believers are of one heart and one mind. The church is bold in proclaiming the gospel. They're growing and adding to their number daily. There's a sense of depth in their community. They were prayerful. They were praising God continuously. No one uh, held to their possessions as there was need. They would sell things, and they had all things in common, and they enjoyed the favor of all the people. How many want to join this church, right? That's our new members. I thought that was our church. No, 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 no. That's, uh, this, this is the good part of the church. Um, but it gets better. It, it kind of last week ends in this apex of this culmination of this guy, Barnabas, who I'm going to say is the most kind, giving, generous church member in the history of the church, or at least it looks that way according to the black letters, right? And so it culminates in this guy going before and displaying th- this incredibly unselfish act of giving. And everybody at that moment does what? Ooh, look, that's the church member that I want to be like. 
You know, you see this, this person who, who, who attains, and I don't know what the status, don't say elder or deacon in this church because we, we don't fit that model. We're not that giving, by the way. Well, I can speak for Dale, maybe not Randy, I don't know. Uh, Dale and I have done a little longer tour, but Randy, I've been with him a while. So um, you're going to be sorely mistaken if you look for Barnabas and us. We're, we're, we've got our hand to the plow and we've duct taped it, but we might be dragging the plow rather than pushing it. Am I fair? So we'll be attached to the plow, but not sure how productive we will be. But having said that, there's this incredible act of giving. And so we open up chapter 5 with the story of further giving. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, open up. Don't want to lose my papers here. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with the wife's knowledge, he held back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it. And laid it at the apostles' feet. So we have this conspiracy, this intentional uh, deception on their part. Verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it then that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So has anyone ever asked you a question and you know they don't want the answer? Think about this. Ananias is not going to get a chance to answer the questions. I'd rather be asked a really hard question and give a super dumb answer than be asked a question and know you don't want the answer from me. So let let me walk through the, the questions he gives us. We'll break this apart and um, see what the answers are and, and see how this plays out. So the first question, it's a compound question. Two parts. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back to yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Now, now this is an easy question to answer. Why has Satan so filled your heart with lies? That's, that's it. And, and we know that that's what Satan does. John 8, Jesus was speaking to the unbelieving Jews, and he said, You belong to your father, the devil, and you will carry out what your father desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So the answer, obviously, is if he's speaking what Satan is giving him, it will obviously be a lie. Second question, while it remained unsold, did you not... Did it not remain yours? Answer, yes. Third question, after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Answer, yes. Fourth question, you see how we go through this a nice little clip, by the way. Uh, why is it you have contrived this deed in your heart? Because apart from Christ, the answer is that's what you'll always get. Jeremiah 17, 22, 12, excuse, excuse me. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So if the presence of God isn't within our hearts, what's left? Deception, lies. Romans 3, 10 through 12 tells us this. There is no one righteous, not, not even one. There is no one who understands There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's a pretty hard statement, but but if you step back and look at God's word, what does it tell you is the default setting for my heart? 
Let me take an inventory for us, our inventory. How many of us here lie to God, to our brothers and to our sisters and to ourselves? Now, don't, no hands. It's a, it's a hard question. I don't like these. This is why I don't like these passages. Because the takeaway here leaves me bloodied and bruised on a good day. It leaves me mangled on the side of the road on other days. Now, as an unbeliever, that's the default setting for their existence. Um, and praise God, it's not ours. But let me ask some questions, just little questions. How many of us lie to God, to our brothers and sisters, and to ourselves? You ever ask yourself these questions? Well, a little lust won't hurt me. Maybe it's, I'm not drunk. I only had an extra drink to relax. Maybe it's a statement like this. I can afford to make this purchase when you know you can't, when you know it's irresponsible. How about this statement? An R-rated movie isn't that bad. Besides, it was a good movie. Do you ever tell yourself it was a good movie after toxic visual stuff is shown? We sit there and try to justify ourselves saying it's okay. Well, who am I lying to? Oh, to God. I might be lying to you and I'm lying to myself. Um, I could ask it. I could spend the rest of the hour making my point here. And these are things that we don't want to own. So if you don't stop and slow down, pull the car off on the road and, and pop the trunk and look at it, you're not, you're not going to, you don't want to ask these questions. And I don't think Peter would go out of his way to propose those questions except for the extreme situation that he found himself in. With somebody coming before him and everybody else trying to exalt themselves and then lying through their teeth. If Peter came and stood before us with the wisdom and insight he had from God in the situation of Ananias and Sapphira, if he had the same link to God about what's going in on in our hearts, and he started asking questions, where would we be? Would we have answers? Or would we just prefer to say, no, strike me dead? I mean, it's, it's, it's a hard, if you transfer this to us in the application today, would the questions be much different at the end of the day for those he asked to Ananias if he asked them to us? And, and that's, that's a painful question I simply leave with you guys. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And, and that sounds really rough, right? Hey, whoa, wait a minute. Wasn't that the God of the Old Testament or the hellfire and brimstone where like the earth swallowed up and, and took Korah and all his friends and all his possessions and, and sucked it into the earth? And then, and then some people were offering incense that shouldn't have been offering the incense and fire comes down from heaven and torches the situation. Isn't that relegated to the Old Testament? And then you look at this passage and you kind of stammer back a couple steps and say, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. And I think that's part of the point. See, the same holy God we have in the Old Testament is the holy God we have in the New Testament. And sometimes we say, oh, no, there's grace and mercy in the New, in the New Testament that wasn't there in the Old Testament. But that's, that's not accurate. Abraham, Abraham's relationship with God, with God was based on faith. And it was counted as righteousness. And in Christ in the New Testament, it is simply faith counted as righteousness. Imputed to us. It, it hasn't changed. So then I'll take this a step forward. Does this stuff happen today in our midst? 
Does God sit there and strike people dead? If you haven't read this book by David Platt, um, Radical is the name of the book. Let me, let me read you an excerpt from this book, if I can read it. They're talking about ministering in this, this foreign country, and, and it picks up here with this. Um, he says, I continued one day I was sharing the gospel with an unreached village with people who had never heard of Jesus. I was in one house sharing Christ with a family, and a witch doctor from the village came to the house. Witch doctors and magic are common in, uh, in villages like these. Uh, they hold sway over the entire community with their curses and incantations. The witch doctor called me out, Raiden said. He wanted to fight me. Raiden smiled as he confessed. My first thought was, walk out there and take the witch doctor down. And when you get old, you can't think that. You can think it anymore, but you know you can't do it. But when I go outside, the Lord told me I no longer needed to do the fighting. God would do the fighting for me. So Raiden walked outside, pulled up a chair, and sat down in front of the witch doctor. He told his challenger, I don't do the fighting. My God will fight for me. Raiden recounted what happened next. As the witch doctor attempted to speak, he began to gasp for air. He was choking and couldn't breathe. People came running to see what was wrong, and within a few minutes, the witch doctor had fallen over dead. By now, the entire village had crowded to the scene. Raiden said, I'd never seen anything like this, and I didn't know what to do. But then the thought came in on italics. I guess it's a good time to preach the gospel. Ah, that's, that's a pretty logical conclusion for me. That's, that's unnerving. And, and I'm going to say this, that, that the prevalence of some of the things I read about today in, in the third world, in certain parts of Africa and India and China, aren't happening here. And, and, I, and I don't, I'm not going to go there today, but a question should linger do we witness these signs? Do we witness these wonders? Do we witness these miraculous displays of the power of a holy God? Would it change for us right now if a pillar of fire appeared to my left? Real pillar of fire. Not burning the roof yet, but a pillar of fire that from all from here, we could feel the heat coming off. Would it start to affect the holiness and reverence we have for a God? You know, I, I love the Old Testament in this respect, that, that the Jews, when they were led out of Egypt, went to, Mo, uh, went to Moses and said, God doesn't need to speak with us. You do the speaking on his behalf. And there's a part of me that says they didn't want to hear directly from God because at that point you can no longer ignore. You can no longer ignore the word of God. And part of what we do in teaching and docs as we march the books of the Bible like this is to come to these passages to say, what gives? Do we acknowledge that this is the God? This is not a passage. I would say, oh, let's, let's teach this passage if we were doing topical preaching. It, it's not, it doesn't leave you with warm fuzzies. It leaves you with a very uneasy feeling at the base of your gut that if there really is a holy God, there's a little shaping up to do. And, and that doesn't mitigate the fact that a holy God has cleansed me, that I am renewed and perfect before a holy God and, 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 and restored in right standing with a God where there is now peace between me and God. That's the deal in Christ. But that doesn't change the pillar of fire to my left 
and the need to take seriously the words that come from the fire. See, I think we'd have a different sermon this morning if I just sat down, fire appeared, and God said, dot, dot, dot. When the holiness of God appears, people drop. This is a very uncomfortable thing to think about in our, in our modern church. Do we fear God today is my question. Now, let me ask the question differently because that has no impact in me, in my brain. Do we act like we fear God today? What does it look like to fear God? Yeah, and I'm not talking about cowering in fright saying, oh, he's going to strike me. But I think there's a thread of that that comes through the holy reverence for God. I'm talking about a healthy fear, one where we give due respect and high regard for another. And if you got a call from the White House today, and they said, we would like you to come to the White House at 10.15, how many of us would be late? And again, I'm not picking on you being, it's, it's, it's an illustration It's kind of like this, do, do we fear God in the same way a young child when a mother says, I've had it, but I'm not going to address the problem. When your father gets home, he'll handle the matter. How many of us, do you have that feeling, do you ever have your mom do that to you? Where she abrogates the authority and says, oh, and, and, and the next question like, well, when's he coming home? Six hours. It's torture for those six hours because you're just reliving the whipping you're going to get when he comes home because you know it's coming. So when the next time your mother says, should I speak to your father about this? You say, no problem. Real quick. What is that? That's a healthy respect and regard for an authority. Do we have, have you ever met somebody worth 50 or 100 million dollars? Somebody who's incredibly successful. I mean somebody that lives, sleeps on a mat of 100 dollar bills. That type of rich. Right? They fly in on a Learjet. I got to be honest, you meet those people, it's easy to stammer. You ever meet a movie star? Like an A-list movie, not, not an old D-list movie star who's, who's washed up now. I'm talking about somebody who, who, who is on the top. You know, half the time, you wouldn't even walk up to them. You're like, oh, look, it's, it's Daryl from The Walking Dead. We ran into him in Key West, by the way. So you're like, oh my gosh, who is this? You know, you're cowering. You just kind of stand back in awe going, wow, look at him. A little bit of that God deserves. A high regard. Do we have a high regard that commands respect and reverence? And, and I don't like the way I respond to that question myself personally. And that's again why I'm like, hey, well, could Randy teach this passage? Let, let's take it. Well, let, let me leave, the, leave you with this. The fear of the Lord is a good thing. The same way the fear of your mom and your dad is a good thing. The same way a respect for the IRS is a good thing. The same way the respect for a cop car when he pulls up alongside of you and you're driving five miles over the speed limit is a good thing. At the end of the day, it's not that the government doesn't want you speeding. The government wants to preserve the healthy safety and welfare of everybody on the roads. This is for our good, not for your intimidation and punishment. Proverbs 9.10 tells us this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And, and my takeaway really here is we could use a heck of a lot more of that. Verse 7, 
After an interval of about three hours, the wife came in not knowing what had happened, and Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Uh-oh, more questions from Peter. This is not good. You know it's going bad all of a sudden, right? Uh, and she says yes for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Now we know another one of those bad questions where Peter doesn't want the answer. Because she's going to be dead before he exhales from this question, right? And so the question would become again, why does he ask the question if she's going to be dead in three seconds? Twofold. One for the audience there and two for the audience here. He's making a point to us. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young man came in, they found her dead. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. So the question really is this. If it wasn't intended for her, what is the impact or response that should come from us? And the next verse says, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of those things. And I guess my question is, now that we've heard these things, does a fear come upon us? Does a fear come upon us? Or does this passage not matter? Does it not matter? Yeah, I don't know how to make the point. Is anything going to change as a result of us hearing the words this morning? I love, we've talked about this, and it's worth repeating. I love the white line, the witch in the wardrobe. And they talked about Aslan. And, and the beavers are talking. They say, you see, Aslan is, is not just a lion. You know, it's one thing to fear a lion. Okay. The beaver says, no, 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 no. But he's a great lion. The king of the beast, the real ruler of Narnia. And the Susan said, is he safe? And Miss Beaver says, if anyone appear, if anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, then they either, they're either braver than most else or just silly. And then Lucy asked the question, then is he safe? And Miss Beaver says the famous line, of course he isn't safe, but he's good. And do we treat God do, do, do we acknowledge that Jesus is not a king, but the king? Peter asked the question to get the church's attention as well as the attention of us hearing these words today, that Jesus is the king. And the point is that God is a holy God to be revered, respected, held high, and feared. He isn't safe. I should be uncomfortable teaching this message this morning if I understand who he is. And some of us, hopefully, should be squirming in our chair. So here's another question. So other than Satan presenting his deceptions from an exceedingly wicked heart, what, what else could have motivated Ananias and Sapphira to, to perpetrate this deception? And let me give you a couple things. The, the first I'll give you is something called spiritual pride. They saw the recognition that Barnabas got, and they said, I want some of that. And the problem was they weren't willing to pay the full price. They wanted to get that, get that recognition at a discount. And so the question becomes for us as a church, how do we protect ourselves from saying, ooh, he's an elder, or she's a deacon, or 
He gave $10,000 to the church last year. Or, ooh, you're this. Or, ooh, you've... How do, we, how do we mute the hierarchy standing of us within our body coming before our holy God? And the truth of the matter is, is the, the ground, if you approach the cross with me, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There, there, there's not a, ooh, he's a little higher coming to Christ. With a, he didn't need a little less grace than I. <laughs> there's a heap of broken, fallen, sinful humanity at the foot of the cross, and he's chosen to redeem us, and that's the church. And praise God that he can do that with broken, sinful, fallen, corrupt humanity. So how do we do this? Matthew gives us a little answer here. Chapter 6, verse 3. Jesus tells us, but when, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Why? It protects us from spiritual pride. It protects us from breaking my arm, patting my, myself on the shoulder, saying, oh, what a great guy I am. So you can't exalt yourself when you're by yourself, right? I like that. If it's just between you and God, what you've done for God, there's no patting yourself on the back. There's just a joyful thanksgiving that you had the opportunity, the privilege, and the ability to give. And let me tell you something. When you touch upon that, life is good. There's not a lot more that I need personally. I certainly don't need you guys saying, good job, Jonathan. It's, it's a wash to receive the approval of a holy God and bringing, you know... From our side, mud sandwiches to God saying, look, I made you something to eat. That's the equivalent of my giving to God. And now I'm not saying we can't give and love one another. That if somebody walks up to you and you're struggling and they hand you an envelope full of cash and saying, praise God, brother, I know you're struggling. There's a community here that once we get it, we get it. And I don't have to worry about that. And I hope you don't have to worry about that. If you feel on your heart, somebody says, go and bless your brother, go and bless your brother. But on the big picture scene, we have to be careful about spiritual pride. Because I'm going to wind up doing things for motivations other than for the glory of God. And that creates a mess in the church. That's going to create bitterness. It's going to, it's, it's going to create competition. It's going to create a situation where we're not doing his work but our work. And that's not a good picture for the world to witness. So let me take something else away from this passage. This, this is the church of the Jerusalem. It was going great, spirit-filled, tons of conversions, miracles, authorities are snubbed, and governments back down, and people are rejoicing, all things in common. And now you've got two cold corpses sitting in front of you. And, and, and I'm going to give you the Miles principle. Thank you, Wednesday morning. Miles gave this principle, and I really think it's great. The evil one is at work in the most spirit-filled congregations. Let me say it again. The evil one is at work and even the most spirit-filled congregations. And if, Miles, you got it from somewhere else, lie to them about it, you get all the credit this morning, all right? So having said that, the, the, the evil, just run with it, Miles, just take it. The evil one is at work in even the most spirit-filled con congregations. And I would go further and say, he's doing, he, he's doing extra work in those congregations because if you can take out the strong, strong congregation, the rest are awash. See, if you've got three enemies and one you know is a viable um, threat and the other two, you're going to wash them out easy, a military person says, let's take down the main threat. Let's, let's do the hard work first. And that's, that's what Satan is doing. 
Matthew gives a great picture of this. Matthew 13, 24, the parable of the, the wheat and weeds. Jesus told them a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field, but while, everything was, while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then also the weeds appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull, up, pull them up? Now, now, this is interesting. No, he said, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time, I tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them into bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. And I'd always read this as a picture of the church, meaning if Satan wants to attack the church, what does he do? He plants people within our midst to attack, divide, cause dissension, to undermine. And, and the difficulty here is that you can't even sometimes tell the difference until it's a harvest time because the fruit on the wheat comes at the harvest. And so in our midst, in our midst, we should expect the weeds. Take away from this. Is there a piece of Ananias and Sapphira in each one of us? Don't we all want to be recognized and lifted up for our good works? How many of us withhold something for ourselves when giving to God? How many of us have given everything to him? We're holding back a little. Not willing to pay the full price to get the recognition as a servant of God. How many of us are bringing half of what we sold to the altar this morning? And again, <laughs> don't make me comfortable you know, I'll be happy when I sit down and lightning hasn't struck. I know myself. I looked up Jeremiah. I know Romans 3. No good thing dwelleth in this heart. And if there's something that's done right, praise God. I got out of the way long enough to let him work through me. And if I wind up on my knees, fallen and broken, hey, that's what you got without his help. First John 1 John 1.8. If you're sitting here going, well, no, I'm pretty good. No, 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 you're not. 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and no truth is in us. I don't like that verse either. It gets worse. You know, what did Jesus tell the Pharisees who caught the woman in adultery? He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone at her. And what happened? They all walked away. And that's where passages like us bring me at the end of the day. They bring me to, to, to uh, how, how much can I condemn you for the way you're living? When I look at myself. How many of us aren't lying to ourselves, to others, and to God about certain, certain aspects of our lives? And there may be great transform, transformation and sanctification going on in your life. And I praise God, and I know that, and I believe that, Okay? The problem is, is that if there's a little something left in your back pocket that you, don't want to, that you don't want to put on the table. But herein lies the beauty of the gospel. Here is the good news. The church might be full of broken and corrupt people, but Jesus gave to save broken and corrupt people. 
It is not the healthy who need a doctor. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. And if you this morning are a corrupt, selfish liar, welcome to Doxa Church. We do 101 in uh, September again. We'll sign you up. Uh, We'd rather make a a little waiver. I am corrupt, broken, and selfish too. Yes, I want to join this church. And you can get on board with us and we can praise God to witness a holy God intervening and taking over and seizing upon a people to display to the world what a holy God does through a broken, corrupt person. And that's the good news of the gospel. And if you're here today with that hopeless feeling in the, in the knot, knot in the bottom of your gut, no. He came to seek and save that which is lost. And if you say, I'm lost. I, I don't get this come to Jesus salvation thing. Some people will sit there and pray. And if you pray, pray. But other people sit there one day and look at God's word and their eyes are opened. And another person sees a sunrise and and, and just realizes there is a holy God and I need him. And their hearts open and he indwells them. I pray that any way he can grab a hold of you, he'll get you this morning. No strings attached. He'll present the body warm and we'll see what he can do with the rest. And that's the gospel. But that's what a holy God does with broken, fallen, sinful humanity. We as the church should anticipate godless people in our midst, but know that the gospel is able to redeem them just as we have been redeemed. Let me say it again. We as the church should anticipate godless people in our midst, but know that the gospel is able to redeem them just as we have been redeemed. So we're not, we're not put on notice to say, oh, look out for the evil people coming into the church. Let's go about our business. Because the God we serve is more powerful than the means that they try to undermine what we're doing here. Don't worry about it. Don't lose sleep that there will be evil, wicked, corrupt people here who want nothing to do with the cause of Christ in our midst. Because the power of the God we serve will address that. See, Peter didn't drop Ananias and Sapphira. The power of a holy God did. Just as the witch doctor, wherever it was in the Philippines, did. We have a God who fights for us. And we have to believe that. Acts 12, going to read on. uh, Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people in the hands of the apostles. There's a signs and wonders catchphrase in in a lot of churches today. I looked up some stuff on Wikipedia. If you want to go upon that, there are some people that say, no, these these wonders and signs aren't present today, and that's a lie. I, I stand here today a healed man before a holy God in certain areas of my life that condemns and kills most people. I stand here today breathing a sober breath. That, the, the age of miracles is unequivocally with us today. Um, and that's a joyful thing when you see those miracles, when you go, it's a miracle. And um, we rejoice because I believe that is the God we serve today. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of them dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. It goes back to that fear of God. Why didn't the people join them? Because they didn't want to wind up like Ananias and Sapphira. They said, if I don't want this God, let's at least keep our distance. And that's fair. That's a smart human being, by the way, who who watches Ananias and Sapphira drop and says, I don't know about the Jesus thing, but I'll let you have the portico. I can hang out in the outhouse in the back. I'm fine with this. That's a smart person. 
reminds me this of the story, and I don't know if I've told the story, I'm recycling stuff, but of, of two, uh, in, the, in the Cold War days, the, the two Soviet um, military people came into a ch- church with AK-47s brandishing them, and they kicked the door down as a Bible study was going on, and everyone's freaking out, and the guy's holding the gun says, if you're willing to die for your faith, if you're not willing to die for it, get out. And at that point, half the people get up and walk out. And the moment the door closes, they put down their AK-47s, open up their Bibles, and they say, well, we, we, we didn't want to have to worry about the goats fellowshipping with the sheep, so we wanted to be sure who we were going to fellowship with before we study the Word. See, how, how many of us, uh, you see, they, they had been able to sift out those who were willing to live and die on what they believed. And more than ever, the believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on the cots and mats, that as Peter came by at the least of his shadow might fall upon some of them. Really interesting stuff there. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. And I wonder how much hospitals monkey with us being able to do this in our modern churches today. In the third world, you hear about people being brought before people on mats and getting up. Hey, Victor, we support somebody in India, five-year-old girl blind from birth, got her sight. That's happening. You don't need an ophthalmologist. I'm not saying don't use modern medicine. You got a broken leg and it's bleeding. Go to the ER. I'm fine with that. But the point I make is that the power of that God is still present today. So what's the takeaway from the passage? Nietzsche is still dead. That's good. The takeaway really, again, is that our church will have persons present in our midst who desire to exalt themselves instead of exalting our Lord. And depending on the day of the week, that could be any of us. Hello, hello. And in our midst, we should not be surprised to find the Ananias and survivors, but they should merely serve as poster children for the corruption that will infiltrate the church. That displayed a who, who we are apart from his grace. If you, if you take the grace from me, I know who I am. It's not pretty. Don't take notes. Don't follow me. Don't watch. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus warned the church, Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing. But inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Paul, meeting with Ephesian elders for the last time, told them this. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves among you, not, spring, uh, not sparing the flock, but also among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Lot of warnings, lots and lots of warnings. I, I read up on the warnings, and I wouldn't read you half of them. The damage to the church is documented. Paul stated Alexander the coppersmith did much harm. May the Lord repay him for his works. You must also be aware of him, for he greatly resisted our words. See, our church is going to be subject to spiritual attack, and we should expect such attacks. We're in a spiritual war. Yet the good news, not just good news, but fantastic news. Our church will be the epicenter where God displays his power, might, and presence. He is the king, and he is our king, and he is the God, and he is our God, and that is whom we serve. Just as the church in Acts, I'm seeing today the body of Christ come together. I see a body, not just in doxa. I rejoice. Dale said something about churches. I see the body of Christ, denominations falling. 
In the last six months, I've served in various... I was at All Nations Church, um, Seacoast Vineyard, this past Tuesday. And if I'm not mistaken, don't stone me for this if Seacoast, you guys are listening, but they do a coffee and conversation part with, with, uh, about help, uh, evangelism. And I don't think anyone from the Seacoast Church was leading it or doing it. You know, where churches step back and say, let the body minister and the denominations are gone. The prayer tent we did for, for the biker week, you know, there were churches from around the community that manned this. The body is rising up. And what a fantastic thing to know that we in Doxa play a role. We have sister churches. Your denominational, if, if you are bent on serving the king and the God, we are interested in serving the king and the God with you. And that's the thing to rejoice in. That is what this church is about. So even if there's bad news, the good news will overcome and prevail. We should expect, we should anticipate godless people in our midst, but know that the gospel is able to redeem and renew them as well as we have been. Let me pray. Father, we, we thank you so much for this morning. We pray for a special hedge of protection about this body, about those who are serving you without reservation. I pray you'll fortify us in spirit and truth. Ground us in your word. Forgive us for withholding from you what is yours. Lord, let us love one another. Let your love prevail over our corrupt, broken, sinful natures. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for community. Thank you for the campus outreach guys. Thank you for those you draw here today. Um, I pray that, that as we leave today, there would be a sense that you are the king, you are the God, you are our king, and you are our God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.